Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Here in John chapter number four is where we're going to start out in this message. And we're looking at a, a, a place in scripture where Jesus had been journeying and he's coming up to a place where he's a little bit tired. If We, we just got done with Christmas and, uh, you know, amazing. Well, the Eastern church is still in it. Um, but amazing thing is this, we're talking about Emmanuel. This is God in the flesh. God who is spirit, amen, became a man, right? Became a babe in the manger. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And Emmanuel, who never tired, who never hungered, who never thirsted, sometimes got tired, hungry, and thirsted. Why? Because he was, he was preparing a body to lay down on a cross to bear the sin of the world, that his blood would be shed for the forgiveness of our sin and that his body would be raised for our justification, that we may be raised with him one day. Amen? We were talking about that and just how amazing is it? And, and, and one thing that we all have to know is, you know, has the blood of Emmanuel that flowed in his veins and down on Calvary's cross, has that blood been applied to your soul? That's the question. But as he's carrying, as he's going through life, as he's ministering and fulfilling the law, carrying it all the way to Calvary. He's on this journey and he gets a little tired here and he's going to minister to this woman in, in, in Samaria. Let's pick this passage up in verse number six of John four. It said, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Now, if we would have been there at that time, that would have been the place in the story where the record went, everything stopped, the glass broke because Jesus spoke to this woman and he wasn't supposed to according to the customs of the land. He broke through tradition to begin ministering to someone whose society had neglected. Jesus was willing to be castigated by men so that he could reach the soul of a man. And, and here in this passage, he was willing to have others look down on him. He was willing to break through customs of the land to reach a soul. And, and, and if, if you and I are operating in the same spirit, if the spirit of Christ dwells in us, then there's something in you that's willing to break through barriers to reach people that the world has shut out. There's, there should be something in you, a, a, a rescue mentality, that, that the spirit of Christ in you crying out for that one lost sheep, that one wayward soul, that one person that oftentimes, sadly, the church world has put out or the, the, the society has relegated to one description or another. They don't fit in a box. They're in this category or that category, but they're not in our category. And Jesus was willing to put aside categories to reach a person. Are we, right? Is, is the church today willing to put aside categories. You know, one of the things that, that I, there's a lot in this, I, but one of the things that I believe that God's going to be doing in this 
upcoming season. He's, he's actually uh, blurring the lines of denominations. There's, there's going to be a blurring of lines. Denominations are, are falling. They're crumbling right now when they've been set up by men. It is those essential truths that God is going to unite the church in regardless of denomination. In this hour, we, we're seeing a kind of a realignment in the, in the denomination world. And, and one of the things is that Jesus was not afraid to cross those lines. And let, let's continue in this, and I'll show you this. And so... Jesus told her, give me to drink. And like I said, that would be the part of the, of the passage where um, if you were watching on a sitcom, you'd hear that screeching sound. You know, the tire stops. The truck stops. Um, it says, for his disciples were gone unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. In other words, um, hello, you're not supposed to be talking to me. What are you doing talking to me? I'm supposed to be this low life, you know, someone you would never be caught dead with talking to, and yet you want me to give you a drink of water? What's wrong with you? Jesus had crossed a cultural boundary, a societal boundary that people were unwilling to cross. Now, what's amazing about it is Jesus is the one that set the boundary up. Jesus is the one that told Israel to separate themselves. Jesus was the one that told Israel, you're supposed to be a holy, set-apart people. So Jesus is the one that, that established the boundary, but he was showing them, right? In circumstances, you've got to look at the soul. You, you, cannot, you cannot cast a soul to the side. You have to be about souls. And one thing about the Lord is he is about souls. He said he came to seek and to save the lost. That is one thing that we've got to know. Jesus was here to save those that were broken, to save those that were wayward, to save those that were down and out. The Bible says that, that he saves from the right, he saves to the uttermost. The old preachers say from the gutter to the uttermost. From the from the furthest down low, and he sets you up on high places with him in glory. And we praise God for that. We praise God for that. Now, what's amazing about this passage is Jesus was willing to cross cultural boundaries. Oftentimes, many of us are not. And, and, and the, the reason why Jesus was willing to cross boundaries is the same reason he was willing to come to this earth. Why? For the joy set before him. You know, the reason that God chose to come to this place was for you for your soul because there was no way for you to be reconciled to him you were lost and wayward and you might say well I didn't do anything well you don't have to do anything you're born of Adam you're born in the wrong family you're born of Adam you just you're the black sheep of the earth you're born of Adam you're Adam's race Adam's race doesn't have to do anything to go to hell you just got to be born but what do you got to do to go to heaven turn You've got to turn and believe on Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. Amen? That he's God in the flesh, that he died for your sins, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. 
And, and so Jesus was willing to cross this cultural boundary because he saw the soul in danger. Amen? It's amazing about the church world today is we're more concerned about their naturalistic needs than the needs of their soul. Amen? The church world has become humanistic in many ways. Humanism is, is destroying the vibrance of the church. Humanism is whenever we, t whenever we give somebody a blanket when they're going to hell. Humanism gives somebody a blanket instead of the gospel, right? Humanism, it, it, it tends to the natural needs, but it, it just throws to the side the spiritual need, and the greater is the spiritual. Oftentimes, when you meet a natural need, it'll open the door to the spiritual, but the spiritual has to take the preeminence. That's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to give blankets. He didn't come to give manners. He didn't come to give apples. He came to give life. He came to give life. He came to die on the cross for sin that if you believe on him, you would have everlasting life. That's why he came, not for blankets or apples, not to give you a new car or a new home. He came so that you can have eternal life in glory, in heaven, amen? That's why we say when the saints, you know, go marching in, amen, we're going to shout, not because we get a new car, but because we get a new home, heaven. <laughs> we're going to glory. So, so one of the things that we see here is that he's willing to uh, just kind of cross that boundary. Let's continue in this passage. Jesus answered. Who asked the first question? Jesus did. She asked the second question. Now look at this one. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that says to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now how many of you know that whenever the Lord asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer? Have we got that? The Lord asks you a question. If the Lord pulls you to the side and asks you a question, it's, it's for a reason. It's not because he don't know. For example, whenever Adam uh, sinned in the garden, God comes down and God says, Adam, where are you? Right? Y'all remember that passage? Do you know that God knew where Adam was? What was God doing? What was God doing? Why did he ask the question? He was asking the question to elicit a response from Adam so that Adam would know where Adam was. Why? Because Adam's heart lies to himself. Adam's heart told him to make fig leaves and hide. Adam's heart told him to go hide in the tree. Whenever they heard the voice of God, go hide. His heart lied to him. Well, if I hide in the bushes, God won't see me. You know what? God sees you. You can't hide from God. You can't hide from God. You, 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 can, you can put on a disguise. You can put on drugs. You can try to throw it away with alcohol. You can't hide from God. God sees through all of that. God sees where you are. And what God asks is, where are you? Why? Because God wants you to admit you're not where you're supposed to be. Once you admit you're not where you're supposed to be, you're on the road to restoration. Admit it. Just say, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I did something I wasn't supposed to do, and now I don't know how I got from there to here, but here I am. How many of you got testimonies like that? 
It was just one moment of time, and I was doing this, and then I did that. I, I, I don't know how I got here, but here I am, Lord. Now you're on the road to restoration. It's in that place of admission that restoration will begin. It's when you say, Lord, I'm not where I'm supposed to be in my life. And sometimes we need to take a step back. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthian church. He said, in, he said, examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. Sometimes it's good to take a step back and say, where am I in my walk with the Lord? Because what God doesn't want is for your motions. I didn't say emotions, I said motions. I know I'm from East Texas, but... He doesn't want your motion. What does that mean? He doesn't want your religiosity. If you're going to come to church but not bring God your heart, it's emotion. Not emotion. A motion. If you're going to do things but not give God your heart, your soul, and do them from the soul, it is a religiosity work a work of religion and God look you know what God doesn't want that religion is a part of it but it can't be it you have to have your heart right with God that is the most important thing it's more it, it is more important than any other thing in life is to keep your heart right with God now, the Lord here is ministering to this woman in Samaria, and he tells her, right? He asks a question. Give me a drink. She's looking at Christ. Do you remember whenever he was born? Do you remember who sang? Who sang at his birth? Angels. Have you ever heard angels sing at anybody else's birth? Angels. Look, people say, you shouldn't worship at Christmas. Christmas is this, this. Look, the angels celebrated at Christmas. If it's, if it's okay for angels to celebrate at Christmas, it's okay for you to celebrate at Christmas, right? If they can sing, hark the herald angels sing, so can we. We can say, praise God, the you know, glory in the highest. The Savior has come. And, and this woman of Samaria is looking at him. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to see him for the first time? We'd be like that song. Uh, um, you know, remember that song, uh, I Can Only Imagine? I can only imagine, will I stand in awe or will I fall to my knees? What will I do on that day? And, and yet she's right there. She's right there looking. And he asks a question and she says, well, how am I supposed to give you to drink? You don't have anything. Watch. Let's, let's continue in this passage. The, the woman said unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well's deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Are thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Do you notice how she's going to the natural? You probably get by now that Jesus is talking about spiritual water. And she has her mind set on natural things. One of the things that that we see in this passage is the same dilemma that we often face. We, we often fa are faced with the same dilemma. We often hear something and we're either going to categorize it spiritually or physically. And in those moments, 
in those moments, it will tell us where we are with God. So Jesus is talking about water. Jesus is talking about water and he's talking about living water. And he's, he's saying it to elicit a response to see whether she is spiritual or carnal. You see that? Do you know how many of us today just operate in, in the realm of the carnal? How many of us today just go through the motions? How many of us today just live for, you know, what we can eat tonight? Just live for whoever our ball team is that wins? Just live for, get, you know, getting this kind of success at work or this kind of success in our family when the greatest thing that we have need of is to drink of the living water of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And, and, and we will push that living water to the side so that we can have a religious experience and, and, and fill our carnal reasonings. But yet Christ offers a better way, a living way. He said in John 10, he came to give life and to give it more abundantly. He's not talking about a Mercedes Benz kind of life. He's not talking about the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. He's talking about walking on top of things that used to be on top of you. That's what he's talking about. This is the abundant life that Christ offers. These things that used to crush you, you will walk on top of. The things that used to control you will be broken off of you. The chains that used to bind you will be loosed from you. The, the lies that used to deceive you will be shattered when you believe on Christ. He said that the truth will make you free. And so we see in this passage, the Lord is, is just, there's this, this big contrast between carnal and spiritual carnal and spiritual and the same battle rages in all of us galatians chapter 5 says that that if we there's this battle this tug of war if you will between the flesh and the spirit and every one of us in here are in the same tug of war between the flesh and the spirit and 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 the amazing thing is the bible says if you're born again if you'll walk in the spirit you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh there is nothing there is no sin, no addiction. There is no bondage that can control you if you walk in the spirit of God. God is greater. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And if you will walk in the spirit, there is nothing this world can put on you that will bind you down. There is no amount of depression, no darkness, no despair, no despondency. There is nothing that the world can put on you that God can't break off of you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. And so... She, she comes back to the Lord with this carnal response. And, and, and you know the sad thing is most of us, we give the Lord carnal responses too. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? You go to praying and the Lord's offering, right? How many of you know that the Lord moves through prayer? But yet when we pray, right, Facebook dings, we cut off the spiritual to get on the carnal. She was doing the same thing. She, she, the Lord of glory was right there. How many of you would love to just worship him? How many of you would just love to look upon the one who loved you and died for you and rose from the dead for you? How, and she's looking at him and her mind's on carnal things. 
You know that you could be in a revival service, you could be in the best church service ever, and your mind could be a million miles away. And in the same breath, you could go a thousand miles from a church. You could go to, to Tahiti, sit on a beach somewhere, and not have any peace. Because it's where your heart is that matters. And that's what the Lord's getting at with this woman of Samaria. Was, where's your heart at? Now, let's, let's continue in this. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drink of, the, of this water shall thirst again. So he's telling her, I'm not talking about this water right here. Right? Some of us, we, some of us are like that. I just got to insert this, right? Some of us are like, some of us got to have it spelled out very plainly by the Lord. Some, sometimes the Lord just has to give us the ABCs of the matter. And he kind of had to break it down for her. And he said, look, I'm not talking about this water. If you drink this water, you're going to thirst again. You go to Brookshire's, buy some water, you're going to get thirsty again. I'm not talking about that water. I'm talking about spiritual water. I'm talking about spiritual water. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you know how good God is that no matter where you are in life, he will supply your needs? Not, I'm not talking, don't go back to the carnal. Don't be like this woman of Samaria. Don't get in the carnal. He will supply your needs in that he will give you the ability to get through what you're going through. He will give you the ability to keep on when you don't have any more keep on. He will give you the ability to go further than you've ever been before. He will give you that which you need in the soul. This living water, this living water is available for you no matter the situation or condition of your life. It's not based on how bad of a deck of cards you've been dealt. It's not based on how hot the sun is. It's not based on how dry the desert's been. It's not based on how long you've walked on the wrong road. The water is free. And it's given to those that believe on Jesus. And it flows from him. It flows from his throne. It flows from that place of the spirit. And it ministers life to the soul of the despondent, to the soul that's in despair, to the soul that's been on a dark road. God, God does amazing things for broken people for people that would just simply come to him and dare to believe. Do you know that God's never saved anybody that wasn't broken? God's never done it. And you know what? The Holy Spirit has never filled a soul that wasn't empty. You can't be full of yourself and get the Holy Spirit. You can't be full of the world and get the Holy You've got to come to that place where you don't want anything else but God. And in salvation, you've got to get to the place where you're broken before God. You know what's amazing? We, we, think of th we think of things completely backwards. We go, man, they're broken and down and out. There's no hope for them. No, it's actually, it's the exact opposite. 
It's actually the exact opposite. When they're down and out and they're broken down and everything's going against them, that's when they're a candidate for salvation. That's when they're a candidate to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's when they're a candidate for God to use them, lift them, revive them, restore them, and do great things through them. When, and you know what? God's always been that way. You look at, you look at the life of Paul. Paul, Paul said he, he found out. He found out, right? This place, this, this sweet spot in the Lord, it's where... What? It's where he, he came to this place where he, he was just okay. It was in this place where he said, you know what? Whether I have or have not, I've learned to just trust the Lord. I've learned to trust the Lord whether I have or have not. This place, it, it's not complacency, it's trust. That's what is needed in the church world. We have complacency. Complacency is when you don't care anymore. Trust is when you hold on to God through it all and you keep the fire burning through it all. You see, there's a difference. Complacency lets the fire burn out and don't care anymore. Well, I'll, I'll at least go to church once a month even though there's no fire in my soul. God doesn't want that. God wants you to keep the fire burning all the time. God wants you to burn for him, to long for him, to cultivate that which he's put in you. That which he put in you, you've got to cultivate. Now, um, let, me, let me show you something in Jeremiah chapter 2 real quick. Flip over there to Jeremiah 2. Because the, when, when the Lord's talking about this living water, he's specifically saying that for a reason. He, he is talking about this living water. He's not just pulling it out of the air. He's speaking it for a reason. And you'll see here in Jeremiah 2. Why? Let's, look at, let's begin in verse number 11. And you know, you can even think about our nation and you can think about the church world today and how far we've fallen, not only in the nation, but also in the church. And I'm, I'm a big believer in as, you know, so goes the pulpit, so goes the nation. When our, pulpits, when our pulpits are compromised, the nation will soon follow suit. And we've allowed a lot of compromise in the church world. From the last decade, from the way the decade started till now, it's been astonishing. We've really, we've really changed and... I dare say not for the better in a lot of ways. But look at verse number 11. It says, has a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know what the, you know what the people of God had begun to do? They had begun to run to everything else under the sun except for Jehovah God. They had begun to find their needs being met through government, 
or religiosity. And he said, you have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. You know how many people have started out on fire for God and begun to drift to the side, begun to drift this way or that way. Why? Why? They've begun to forsake the fountain of living water. You know what's amazing about the living water? The, the living water will refresh and restore your soul as long as you drink from it. But you know what happens when you stop drinking from the fountain of life? You don't have any more fountain of life. Not rocket science, right? Aren't we glad of that? It's amazing how we can go to the altar and we can pour out our soul before God and we can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and God will supernaturally restore you in that moment. You don't have to stop, pass, go. You don't have to put money in an offering plate. You don't have to do nothing. You just got to believe on the Lord and the Lord will restore you. The Lord will refill you. The Lord will do an amazing thing in your life. And then you walk out and you go down the road and you forget all about God. Go wayward once again, right? Prodigal. What's the story of the prodigal? The prodigal left home and he got thirsty for home. He got thirsty for home. And some of us have, we've drunk at home, right? We, we've drank from that fountain of living water at church or in our prayer closet and we've tasted and we know that God is good, but we've drifted away and we've gone our own way and we've done our own thing and, and there's this thing in us that just is never satisfied. It's just, there's this aching in us, right? This aching in us and it never left that prodigal. No matter how far he got away from home, there was still something in him that wanted to come back home. There was still something in him that wanted to be back at the Lord, to be back where he was supposed to be. And it was that in his heart. He, he responded to that pricking of the heart and he went back home. And when he went back home, restoration commenced. And God operates the same way. You know that Jesus told that story for a reason. It's a parable. It's a parable because it happens in our lives. The Lord told that story because he knew people like me and you would taste and know that God was good and then walk away sometimes. He told that for a reason. Why? So that you would know nothing's ever going to change till I go back to the Lord. It's not going to get better until I get restored. It's not going to change until I go back to the Lord and give him my heart once again and allow him to restore me, to drink from that fountain of living water. Is he, the Lord was talking about that here in Jeremiah. He said, my people, they forsook me. Can you imagine what it looks like from God's perspective to, to nourish the soul of your people and have your people run to everything else under the sun? Religious experience is the taskmaster from the devil. Do you know that you can, you can even go on mission trips and not have a heart for God? You go on a mission trip, you can do it with the wrong heart. You can do it just because you feel bad. That's religiosity. 
You can put money in an offering plate because you feel bad. Why, can, why am I telling you that? I've been there. I know that feeling. I've been not right with God and I felt bad for it and I thought by me going to church once a month and putting money in an offering plate, it would square things up with God. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie from the devil. The only thing that squares anything up with God is what Jesus did at Calvary. That is what squares things up with God. And when you realize that, you have to come in surrender to the work that Jesus did at Calvary. And when you receive what he did at Calvary, it only is received one way. There's an exchange. Dying of self. Rising to new life in Christ. This exchange, this death to self and new life in Christ is the only place that God operates through a believer. No other way. Because only what Christ did at Calvary can reconcile you to God. No amount of religious works, no amount of mission work, no amount of money in an offering plate, no matter how many gold stars you get for church attendance, no matter how good you sing in the choir, no matter how good you dress at church, no matter how many prayer meetings you attend, if you're not reconciled to God through what Jesus did at Calvary, you're standing on the outskirts and you're drying up on the inside in the fountain of living water is bubbling, waiting on you to take a drink. He said that, that in this passage, he said there was two things they did. You see that? There was two things they did. Number one, they forsook the fountain. You know, the church world forsakes Jesus today, right? I, I mean, we don't have to go down that road, but we preach everything else under the sun except for Emmanuel. We preach everything else under the sun. We preach how to, you know, name it, claim it, how to have a better life. You can go down the list. We forsake. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. You don't have to do, you, the church doesn't have to make a new way. Jesus is the way. There, there's no new thing the church has to teach. We don't have to go to seminars and all. I mean, Jesus already did the work. We just got to believe it. I mean, he did it. He did it. We just got to believe it. There's, you don't have to, you know, get out the scratch pad and do this and do that. And, I mean, he did it. You had to believe it and receive it. So they forsook Jesus. They forsook the fountain of living water. And the second one is they hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns for themselves. You see that? Verse 13. Now, what is that? That is the carrier that is their religious works. That's what that is. They, they trade it out, coming to the altar broken for their religious service. That's what they did. And I want to tell you, as you, as you begin this upcoming year, as you, as you begin this new decade, the way to begin is broken. Before God. Say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. I need a fresh touch from you every day. 
I, I can't have one drink a month. I can't have one drink a year. I can't go one drink a decade. I need daily to partake of that fountain of living water. It's a place where the believer is called to come and die. To come and lay down your life. To come and lay down it all that you may receive it all. And that's where the Lord is found. That's where the Lord is found. And it, it is irregardless of your circumstances. You, as you hear a message like this, you're thinking a thousand reasons of why this can't happen and why that can't happen and what's prohibiting you from doing what you need to do. You know, the devil will always give you excuses to keep you back, right? But at some point in time, you have to be willing to say, you know what? I need God more than I need this. Do you, I mean, I started out talking about how Jesus crossed the cultural boundary. You know that you have to push through boundaries? You have to be willing to be mocked at, made fun of. You have to be willing to let go of who you are. You have to be willing to let go of being offended. You know, our, our generation is a generation that's offended. You can say Cheetos, and they'll get offended about something. And the, and the sad reality is when you, when you come to the Lord, you relinquish the rights of who you are. You lay down yourself. Crucified with Christ means death to self. Galatians chapter 2 is one of the most powerful and, and, and needed messages in the world today. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That message is lost in the church world today. That's why you get people getting offended. That's why you have sin in the church. That's why you have sin in the pulpit. That's why you have sin on the choir. That's why you have sin in the pews. That's why the church is complacent. That's why the church condones sin. That's why the church is mired and weak and impotent and powerless. And that's why when you call a prayer meeting, nobody comes. But when you have a dinner, the churches are full. That's why we get mad when the, when the schools don't allow prayer, but we don't pray in churches that's why we don't see God moving in the world today is because we are complacent and weak and despondent to the move of God we get more mad at teachers not praying than parents not praying what's wrong with us the parents have an obligation to take their children by the hand and teach them how to pray the the, the parents have that obligation not teachers why are we going to pawn off our responsibility on others when we're not willing to do what God called us to do? And I'm, I'm talking about that on parents. All of us have obligations. You, you, older generations, you have the obligation to make sure the younger generation gets the baton right. Make sure they know how to seek God. Make sure they know how to pray things through. Make sure they know how to find God when the, when the world is upside down and they're down and out. Make sure they know how to take up the... Because look, this upcoming generation, this upcoming generation is going to face battles, right? It's going to face battles. And it's going to take a move of God in this nation. 
I heard a guy say one, uh, the other day, he said, it's either revival or bust for America. Culturally, you look at our culture, it's revival or bust. Yeah, there's no just things going the way they are and it's always going to be, it's always going to be whatever. It's not like that anymore. The, the fabric of the nation is being torn by many different aspects. God is revealing darkness in the land. God is opening up and, and, and revealing darkness in the land. And a lot of the dark that's coming out, there's no going back. And it's going to take a move of God to heal the nation. It's going to take a move of God. And, and in that moment, in that moment where there is a needed move of God, the church is more concerned about building buildings and having carnivals than saving souls. The church is more involved, right, with programs and souls when souls is our mission we're off mission look at the Lord here he was willing to cross a cultural boundary to reach somebody are we are we are we now let me let me show you something real quick in Psalm chapter number one Psalm chapter number one just go back a few pages be on page 504 in your Bibles Psalm chapter number one I have to say sometimes I think the first chapter is usually the best one this is one of the best Psalms in the Bible we're just going to read the first three verses look at this blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly you know, some of us need to reread that one. You can't be blessed and walk with the ungodly. You can't have your cake and eat it too. My grandma used to say, you're going to play with fire, you're going to get burned. Right? See, so the, the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight. Can I ask you a question? What's your delight? Saints, cowboys, stock market, work, got to get my 50 hours in, got to do. What's your delight? Only you can answer that. Nobody can answer it for you, and only you know. And when you answer that, remember I told you that the Lord asked a question to elicit a response so that you'll know who you are and where you are with him? What's your delight? Only you know that, and when you answer it, it'll reveal to you where you are with God. He's talking about the righteous man, the blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate Day and night. Now, let me take a, a sidetrack just for a second, a little small rabbit trail. Meditation in the Bible is not like the meditation that's in the world today. The meditation that they do today is where you got to empty your mind and hum a mantra. That is Eastern mysticism that's demonic. Meditation of the Bible is where you get a verse of Scripture and you think on it. 
and you keep thinking on it, and you keep thinking on it. You memorize it, you quote it, you say it to yourself, you think on it all day long. The, the, the image is chewing on it, like, like a cow chews grass over and over and over like bubble gum. You're doing the same thing with scripture. So I just want to, I got to say that because uh, Eastern religions have invaded America and you got to know the difference because uh, demonic spirits operate in the other. So here we're talking about the meditation of just thinking on God's word and God's truth. Blessed, uh, Blessed man is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night. Now listen to this, verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter where you are physically, and it doesn't matter what your situation is. How many of you know we've all got stories? How many of you here listening to this, you have a story? How many of you got issues pressing on you, right? How many of you got issues pressing on you? Raise your hand if you got issues, right? Okay. Do you know that this passage of Scripture applies to you regardless of how heavy and hot the pressure is on you? Listen, the living water, that fountain of living water flows abundantly in places, in situations, just like you're in. You're not going through something that God can't do a work of restoration in. You're not in a situation where you're outside of God's reach. I want you to know right now that God can break through your despair. God can break through your hardship. God can break through your addiction. God can break through depression. God can break chains. And he still breaks chains. And I, I know because God has broken chains in my life. And I know that God has broken chains in your life because I know many of your testimonies. And when we find ourselves in bondage again, when we find ourselves entrapped again, when we find that things have just become oppressive to us again, so beautiful reminder to know that the fountain of living water still flows. No matter how deep or dark the dungeon is, you're not outside of God's reach. You're not. You're not outside of God's reach. God can minister to you. And all it takes is you saying yes to the Lord. You don't have to put money in an offering plate. You don't have to sign a card. You don't have to make a pledge. Just say yes to the Lord. That prodigal, when he was, he was in that pig pen, if you know the tradition, right, this was the absolute worst place he could have been. Do you know, like, we don't get it now because everything we eat has bacon in it, so we don't get it now. But contextually, this would be like the lowest of lows, This would be like somebody you, you would say, they're never going to get right with the Lord. They're heathen. I used to get called that all my life, right? You, you little heathen. 
This is somebody whose society says they're never going to make it. They're prostitute. They're, you know, a thief, a murderer, drug dealer, whatever. This is society has cast them off. It's the kind of people that God works in. It's the kind of people that God's raising up in this generation. God's raising up. You know what? God doesn't really care about anything else much more than you saying yes to him. You got a past? Join the crowd. In fact, you're more, you're, 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 you're more weird if you don't have a past. I mean, God uses people that go through stuff. Look at Jacob. What'd he go through? Look at Abraham. What'd he go through? What about David? What'd he go through? Rahab? The harlot? What? Look, God uses broken people. And if we don't get that as a church today, we're missing the spirit of God. God, that's who God saves. He saves the lost. He doesn't save those that are good but just not quite good enough. He saves the lost, the utterly hopeless, down and out, despondent, wayward, prodigal. That's who God ministers to. Those that the world says they have no hope, that's the one who says, God says, that's who I'm giving hope to. Let me finish this verse three. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You know that the, the, the leaf not withering and whatever you doing prospering, that that is irregardless of the circumstance. Notice he doesn't say blessed is the person who finally gets that job they wanted. Blessed is the person who finally gets married. It doesn't say blessed is the person who finally gets a child. Blessed is the person who finally gets that stock market the way they want. Blessed is the person whose politician finally gets elected. Blessed is the person who finally gets the car they always want. That's not what he says. The, the blessing flows from belief. And the blessing is the river of life. The blessing is the spiritual water that ministers to the soul. Manna from heaven that nourishes the soul of man. Not a Mercedes Benz. Not a, not a, a stack of money. Not, not new clothes. A new heart. A renewed spirit. A renewed mind. A reignited passion for God. A desire and a thirst for the things of Jesus Christ. This is what God does. And, and, and this blessing that he gives, it's not conditional on your circumstance. It's not conditional on your circumstance. It's conditional on your belief. When you turn to the Lord, he'll turn to you. The Bible says in, in James chapter 4 that if you would draw near to God, he would draw near to you. That promise of the Bible, some of us need to grab hold of because 
for whatever reason, we haven't been where we're supposed to be. You know, some of us, we can't handle blessings. Some of us, blessings are too much for us. We just go wayward every time, just like Israel. Every time God blessed Israel, they started worshiping other gods. They started following after the gods of the land, whatever land they were in. Some of us are like that. Some of us can't handle them. But you know what? The more you're aware of that, the better off you're going to be. Because when you're aware of that, that's when you're saying, you know what? I need God more than I need that. I need God more than I need that. And that's the place God wants us to be in. When you're in that place, you'll be like that tree. That tree that blooms regardless how much it's rained on the outside. When that tree is planted by the river of living water, when that tree is planted by that river, listen, it doesn't have to rain for the tree to grow. You know, some of us will only worship God when it's raining. You know what I'm saying? Some of us, it has to be 72 degrees, perfect weather, perfect this in order for us to worship God. But this tree that is blessed, listen, it blooms without rain. That doesn't make sense to the natural mind. That doesn't make sense to the natural mind. But that's how God's economy operates. That's how God moves in, in generations. That's how he brings a move of God fresh, fresh fire. And he'll move in your life today. You say, it hasn't rained in my life. Right? You know what I'm talking about by rain? Like no, no good thing has happened to you? It hasn't rained in my life in five years. You know what? God operates on a different level than that. You've got to listen. This tree is planted by this river. It's going to bloom whether it rains or not. Whether things are the way you want them to be or not. Whether things are the way you wish they would be or think they ought to be or not. That tree will continue to bloom because it's nourished from the fountain of living water. And that's the same fountain that Jesus told that woman of Samaria, you can drink from. You know what's amazing? I'll close in this. This woman of Samaria, in the eye of a Jew, was a dog. You couldn't get much lower than this. You know why Jesus... You, do you know that Jesus knew that this woman was going to come to this well? He's God. And why did he use a woman from Samaria to illustrate this story? Because he wanted us to know that no matter how low you think you are, no matter how much the devil has lied to you and told you you're no good, you're a dog, you don't deserve God. No matter how many lies that the devil has told you, if Jesus was willing to extend grace to this woman from Samaria, he'll extend grace to you too. If you have a heart that says, yes, God's ready. 
Lord, we bless you this morning, and we thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to minister to your people. 